Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is God's Word, and one of the things Paul asks is prayer, that when he speaks, he might speak clearly. So let's just pray and ask that God might help me to speak clearly and understandably this evening. Let's pray. Lord, amazingly, you've entrusted the message, the greatest message in the world, to human voices and minds communicate. Therefore, as we look at your word together and as I attempt to explain it, help me to do so clearly and faithfully. Help us to be responsive and attentive to what you want to say to us and to obey it immediately. We ask it for your honour and glory. Amen. Just for those who are regular worshippers and wonder what's happening, I'm speaking at this point in the service and then there'll be various things happening afterwards. That's just to let you know and also so you don't think you're going home quite as early as you thought with me right at the beginning. Hope you've got the Bible open in front of you. Uh, some time ago, Norrie Wilson, sitting up there, the elder in our church is responsible for young people, led a very interesting family service in which he got us to do something very unusual. In fact, if you know Norrie, unusual is usual, but this was uh, very unusual, certainly for this church. Everyone in the congregation, it was a full congregation in the morning, about 900 people, we were all given a little slip of paper and we were all asked to write down on it something we wanted to thank God for. And then all the children went down the aisles and collected up these little bits of paper and there's a kind of big paper all down the front of the pulpit here or a sticky tack, I don't know how they did it, but they stuck all these little pieces of paper all over the front of the church here. If you were there, you'll remember it because it was so impressive. It's also actually quite moving as Norrie just picked a few off at random and read the kind of things people wanted to thank God for. And thanksgiving is a vital part, an element of our relationship with God. Prayer and praise go together. We thought about that this morning as we focused on our verse for the year. And I hope that you got uh, one of the cards as you came in. Do take one with you, stick it in an appropriate place to remind you, if you're a regular worshipper in this church particularly, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Colossians 4, verse 2. What would be equally interesting, and we must do it sometime, would be to pass out little bits of paper. Maybe this evening if we did it. I haven't planned it, so we're not going to. You can relax. But Supposing I passed out bits of paper and every one of us here 
was asked to write what our main prayer request is. What is the, the one thing you would like God to do for you this evening? What would you want me and all of us to pray for? My prayer request is, Some of the requests would be surprising. And perhaps so painful and personal that you couldn't even write them down and you've never shared them with anyone else other than God, maybe. The hidden hurt you wish could be healed. The unanswered longing that you wish could be met. The secret sin that you wish you could conquer. The broken relationship that you wish could be restored. So many more things. Many of the requests would not be so surprising, for the needs of the person seem obvious. Health for the sick person. A job for the unemployed person. A friend or even a spouse for the lonely person. Money for the needy person. And so on. However, there are some times when we should not pray for the obvious but for something else. So, for example, what would you pray for a Christian leader who is in prison for preaching the gospel? Seems obvious. Give him a bit of paper and he'll write down, my prayer request is that I may be released from prison to get on with my job. Seems obvious. That is what you may think. But you would be wrong at least in one occasion. The New Testament letter we've just read, from which we've just read, was written to the Christians in the town of Colossae by a Christian leader named Paul and he wrote it from prison. He was in chains, probably chained literally to a Roman soldier on one or maybe on both sides. And immediately after urging the Christians in Colossae in his letter to devote themselves to prayer, he then adds a personal prayer request for himself and his colleagues. Look what he says in verse 3. And pray for us. And to our surprise... He does not ask them to pray that God may open the door of the prison, but notice what he says in verse 3, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we can proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. And in the verses that follow, his big prayer request is for people, that people may come to hear and understand and believe in Jesus through him and his colleagues and their missionary activities and through these Colossian Christians and their witness for Christ. And in this coming year when our focus is on prayer I want to suggest you indeed to urge you that we likewise devote ourselves to praying for people and that we also should be praying for people that they may hear and understand and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just because it is their greatest need, but also, and more importantly, 
because it is this which will bring the greatest honour and glory to God and will, according to Jesus himself, bring happiness in heaven. There is rejoicing, said Jesus, before the angels in heaven over one sinner who repents. Luke 15, verse 10. So look with me all closely this evening at Colossians 4, verses 3 to 6. In the Bible Speaks Today commentary, which I'd recommend if you want a good commentary on Colossians, Dick Lucas, who's the, I think he's now the Emeritus Pastor of St. Helens down in London, wonderful Bible teacher, he divides this section into two parts. Speaking to God about people and speaking to people about God, which is very good and very neat. Shows the balance between prayer and witness. However, I want you to look at it from a slightly different angle. To focus on what we need to pray for in regard to people. Let me explain what we're going to look at, these two great themes. We need to pray for opportunities to speak, in verses 3 and 4, and then opportunities to answer, in verses 5 and 6. And I want to suggest to you that the first is the primary responsibility of the preacher, while the second is the responsibility of every Christian. So let's look at them each in turn. First of all, praying for opportunities to speak. Paul calls himself an apostle. The word apostle simply means a messenger. He says, I've been commissioned by Jesus Christ to communicate a message, the good news of what God has done through Jesus, his son. And everywhere, therefore, he goes, he's looking for openings, or what he calls doors. Opportunities to speak about Jesus. So here we have the prayer request of the preacher. Openings to proclaim the message. And that is why his primary concern is not his hands, that they're bound with chains. No, his main concern is with his mouth. That someone might shut him up so he can't talk. In fact, when his hands are bound with chains, he can still speak about Jesus. He's got a captive audience. At least a couple of Roman soldiers. I often wonder what those Roman soldiers were chained to Paul thought about it. Imagine being chained for several hours a day for a whole shift next to a great preacher. I can imagine Paul saying at the end of the eight-hour shift, okay, bring on the next two. So Paul asked the Colossian Christians to pray for him and his colleagues that God will continue to open doors for the message. Opportunities in which they can speak about Jesus. The location is secondary. That's why he's not so bothered about whether he's in prison or not. As long as he can preach, he's happy. As long as he can speak the message, he's content. All that it needs are people who are available and willing to listen about, to the message about Jesus. And so it is with those who are called to preach the good news of Jesus today. We're not limited to church buildings. Nor should we neglect them. A well-known preacher who came to preach in this church several years ago said to me, he'd enjoyed it. He said, Charlotte Chapel is a good boat to fish from. And this preacher's coming, you know. However, if there are, as our own evangelist Ian Leach puts it, no fish in the pond, or if all the fish in the pond have already been caught and in the words of a famous Scottish preacher of old are already well grilled then we need to pray that God will open other doors for the message 
so if you look at the itinerary of any evangelist today, you'll notice something very interesting. You'll discover he is speaking not just in churches, but in schools, in homes, in pubs, in prisons, in universities, many other places, wherever God opens doors. That's why recently we ran our Christianity Explored course for people investigating the Christian faith out there in the Roxburgh Hotel. Because some people find it difficult to come inside a church building. This is our territory. This is our comfort zone. We need to get out of our comfort zone into other people's comfort zones. And we need to pray that God will open doors that are at present closed to the message. And I tell you, today in our society, doors to the Christian message are beginning to close with alarming rapidity. Not every school today will allow Gideon Bibles to be presented to their pupils. Not every university will allow Christian unions to operate on the campus or in the student union. And when this happens, we need to ask God to open doors, but also to open other doors. Other venues and means where the message of Christ can be clearly presented. In our verses, do you notice how Paul describes the Christian message? It's a strange way of describing it. He says it's a mystery. It doesn't mean it's like a murder mystery. You've got to find out the clues. It means a mystery. It's a sort of Greek idea. It means something that's hidden that's now been revealed. And Paul says that God has revealed his plan of how people can be reconciled to him. But he uses human messengers to convey the secret, the mystery. But Paul says, if you're one of those people whose responsibility is to explain the message, the mystery, you need prayer. But God will help you to explain it clearly. For unless God explains it clearly, then people will remain in the dark. No matter what the oratorical skills of the preacher may be, or how good his PowerPoint may be. So Paul asks for prayer that God will give him openings to proclaim the message with clarity. There is also something else that the preacher needs. Not only to proclaim the message with clarity, but also with certainty. You see, because this message is from God, it is non-negotiable. The messenger is a messenger and nothing more. So don't shoot the messenger. However, if the messenger knows he's likely to be shot at, then there is always a danger that when his message becomes unpalatable, he may change it or leave things out. Or simply lack any conviction in how he communicates it. In these verses, Paul describes the way he communicates the message. He says, pray that I may proclaim the message. There are quite a few interesting words used in the New Testament to describe how the message is communicated verbally. One is the word for a herald blowing a trumpet. Here the word used twice and only used here by Paul in the New Testament means to declare something to speak it out people want, Paul wants people to hear and understand the message because it is clear and to accept the message because it comes with certainty with authority now let me be practical and if, I, if you'll allow me let me be personal I and John and all those like our evangelist I see Donald Cormack there all of us who have a responsibility of proclaiming the message, wherever God opens doors, need your prayers for the same things. For clarity, so that people understand the mystery, and for certainty that they hear it and say, this is not just a message from a man, this is a message that comes from God. We need you to pray for us. 
That is why before the service, you've probably noticed on the bulletin, and you've probably, I know most of you have never ever been there, before the service in a little room down there, a group of people, a very small group of people, meet to pray for the preacher at 10 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the evening. They meet to pray for this service. Before we came in here, people were praying for the preacher. At the same time at 6 o'clock in here, some of the elders of the church were kneeling and praying for me this evening. We pray specifically on Friday mornings, at 7.30 Friday mornings, every Friday morning, a group of us, usually around 12, 15, we've had as many as 20 people, come at 7.30 and we meet specifically to pray for the services on Sunday and for the one who is preaching. Again, let me be personal. Coming back from a break in the new year, I wonder why I ever went away um, trying to catch up with all the work this week. It's been a very heavy week in many different ways. I'm normally well prepared by Friday. Friday morning I came to the prayer meeting. In fact, I was so tired I thought I'll stay in bed this morning. Then I thought, no, I won't. There'll be people praying. I'll get up and pray. So I came with our friends and I see some of you here this evening. We came together to pray for the service. I tell you, I felt absolutely drained. I had no idea what I was going to preach on this evening other than the verses in front of us. And I don't like being at that point at that time in the week. Several of you prayed intelligently for me that God would help me in the preparation of this message. And God has answered your prayers. And maybe you're not very sure about that. All I can say with certainty is that without those of you who prayed for me, it would have been a lot worse. And maybe if a few more of you had prayed for me, it might be a lot better. You see, the preacher, however gifted or experienced, needs fresh help every time he speaks. Like the people of Israel gathered manna fresh every day. You can't store it up. And you may think, because you come here week after week, all these guys just churn it up. Listen, John and I go through agonies every week. We eat, sleep, dream sermons. Asking what God wants to say to us first and then to you. And once I begin to think I can get through by my own abilities, and once you start thinking that, we are in big trouble both preacher and people. So, before you criticise the preacher, ask yourself, did I pray for him? Did I ask God to help him and speak through him? And if so, why didn't God answer my prayer? Maybe in this year, when our focus is on prayer, you might want to commit yourself to one of those meetings. Maybe one before the service. You can get here a little bit early. Pray for 20 minutes, 25 minutes at the most. There is plenty of room. Because some of those who prayed faithfully over many, many years have been promoted to a place where there's no longer any prayer, but only praise. But those in heaven cannot now pray for those on earth. So there are spaces in the prayer meeting. I tell you this, you will get no recognition. But only eternity will tell what the results are of those who pray. And in fact, our Lord said, if everybody knows you're at the prayer meeting, you've got your own reward anyway. Do it in secret. So this is the first prayer request. Pray for opportunities to speak. Pray for the preacher. But the emphasis then shifts in verses 5 and 6. Pray for opportunities to answer. 
Paul turns, look very carefully at what he says, from speaking about himself and his responsibility to proclaim the message about Jesus to the Colossian Christians and their responsibility to answer, to share the message. And there's a change of word and meaning. Let me read something from Dick Lucas, which again is very helpful. We may describe this difference by saying that while the Apostle looks for many opportunities for direct evangelism and teaching, the typical Christian in Colossae is to look for many opportunities for responsive evangelism. So the prayer request for every Christian, if you're a Christian here this evening, your prayer request should be, Lord, give me openings to respond to questions that people ask me. And again, let me read on what what Dick Lucas wrote because I can't say it any better. And I think it's very helpful. He says, if this distinction is a correct one, it immediately commends itself by its sanity and realism. Harm can be done by sincere believing people who feel compelled to preach and testify to those with whom they meet in shop and office or university, college. Rightly aware of the importance of the message, the sad ignorance of many of their neighbours, the urgency of the times, they plunge in bravely, whatever the temperature but direct assault upon entrenched apathy is seldom successful, can never be carried out by normally sensitive people without great cost to nerve and confidence. Alas, one consequence of failure in such verbal witnessing is discouragement sufficiently severe at times to lead to disengagement from this part of the battle altogether. And he says that Paul's advice, therefore, is to turn the problem around so that Christians see their responsibilities in a much more promising light. Their privilege simply is to answer everyone. That is to say, they're to respond to the questions of others rather than initiate conversations on leading topics. They're to accept openings rather than making them. And he says, this emphatically is not to sound the retreat. Paul evidently believes that opportunities for response and explanation are to be found everywhere. For everyone is looking for the big answers to the questions of life. And Paul evidently believes that believing Christians should be scattered around the world in places where people can come to them for answers. And he says this then removes a strain from conscientious Christians. The pressure to raise certain topics. When you're a new Christian, I can remember this myself, you go in there looking into a place, an office, a school, a college, and you think, right, I'll take my Bible with me to show them who I am. And immediately you start to try and initiate a conversation, look around for likely candidates and people. And he says, in any case, we go to the office to work, not to evangelize. But by being ready and willing to respond, the way is open to a more serene and successful approach to each day's opportunities. It opens the way, too, for a greater dependence on God, leading us, as well as for more relevant and sensitive witness suited to each individual. And remember, when the outsider chooses the time and the topic, what a wonderful opportunity opening it is to give the answer. So here's another practical challenge I'd like to leave with you this week. I'm trying to be as practical as possible. Why not pray this week that God will give you opportunities to answer someone who asks you, as 1 Peter 3.15 puts it, the reason for the hope that you have within you. But in order for this to happen, or at least to increase the likelihood of it happening, something else is vital. Notice before Paul talks about answering anyone in verse 6, Look what he says in verse 5. He says, the way that you live and behave must be so different that it will provoke people to ask questions. 
the prayer request of every Christian should be for openings to respond to questions. But these questions must and can only be provoked by your character. So Paul writes, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. If there is not something about you and about the way that you live which is different from other people, as we said at the beginning, not being conformed to this world, being transformed by the renewing of your mind, if there is not something different about you, you're never going to provoke any questions about your faith. You're never going to have a chance to give an answer. You must, with God's help and grace, seek to live in a way that reflects the character of Jesus, a gradual but definite transformation. And this is not something you can just turn on and off like a tap. It must be consistent. So as Paul says, you make, every oppor- uh, you make the most of every opportunity. Many years ago, we used to sing a song. It was entitled, They Are Watching You. It was a calypso. I'll sing it for you one of these days, but maybe not this evening. And They Are Watching You. It's not about aliens. The point he was making is that the people we live and work and study with are watching you. One of the verses put it like this, and I've still got the old Youth Praise One hymn book that it's in. And it says, Men will look at the life I lead, see the side I take and the things I love. They judge my Lord by my every deed. Lord, set my affections on things above. And then the chorus says, They are watching you, marking all you do, hearing the things you say. Let them see the Saviour as he shines in you. Let his power control you every day. You see, if you're a Christian, people are watching you. You've maybe already found that out. You thought nobody was bothered about your Christian faith until you did something that they thought was wrong for a Christian and then they jumped straight in and said, aren't you supposed to be a Christian? And only if they see something different will they intrigued enough to ask questions. And that leads to a second thing. If we have to have opportunities to answer, and when we have opportunities to answer, we need not just integrity in our character but also in our conversation. The prayer request of every Christian should be for openings to respond to questions provoked by your character and also stimulated by your conversation. Look what he says. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. When we speak, we reveal our character. The Christian's conversation is to be full of grace. God's grace that values people for who they are and even accepts them for what they are. His undeserved love that we've received is shown in our relationship with others. We show them we value them, are interested in them, and love them as Christ loves them. And that kind of intimate care is missing today in our society and in our conversations. And should we think it all sounds a bit bland and insipid, Paul adds that it should be seasoned with salt, compelling interest, arousing attention, rather than being dull, and boring. I'm trying to think of a good example I was thinking this evening of what your conversation is or the way that we act that provokes people to ask questions. In our first church where I served as assistant pastor, we used to visit a large housing estate every year and do door-to-door visiting, two-by-two two, knocking on people's doors. I hated it. I dreaded it. Before we went, the pastor, my colleague, used to send a letter and we posted this letter through the door and it said, Greetings friends, Long Crendon Baptist Church will be coming to visit you on so-and-so evening. I'm convinced that when people got it, they either went out or locked the doors. (laughs) 
so one year being a brash person in those days, which I'm not now, of course, um, I asked if I could design the flyer that went out. And so I designed a flyer, and it said something like this. Good news, this letter has nothing to do with fitted kitchens or double glazing. I lived on the estate, and we got letters like that all the time. And when the person opened it inside, it said, even better news, the members of Long Friend and Baptist Church plan to visit you, and would be delighted to share with you the real good news about Jesus Christ. Well, we had some very interesting openings. A man said to me, I never knew Christians had a sense of humor. I don't know, but we need to pray that God will give us the opportunities to respond with that little word, that, you know, the thing that makes people think of it, that, that statement. And surely God can do that. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We need to understand how to answer what people are thinking, so we can use words and ideas that will relate to them. We're going to hear about it in a, in a few moments from one of our members, James Anderson, and of course that he's starting this month. And few of us, I think, if any, feel confident in this area. But here's a challenge. Look, look at all of us here. Many of us claim to be Christians. We're going to go out from Charlotte Chapel into the world, to our homes, to our neighborhoods, shopping, recreation, study. Just think of the dissemination of all the people in this church. And if we all prayed, Lord, give me an opportunity this week just to say something. It may not be the full gospel with all the prophets and psalms and everything included. Give me an opportunity this week to speak to someone about you. It'd be great to come back next week and find out what the answer was. I believe God would give us opportunities if we did that. So we need to pray for one another. So these two things, praying for people, two things we can ask God for. Opportunities to speak, especially for those whom God has called and equipped for this task. Opportunities to answer for every Christian. Almost finished, but let me finish where I started. What's your main prayer request? What would you like God to do for you? See, there's nothing wrong with asking God for healing or a job or a spouse or a home or a family or whatever. There's nothing wrong with asking Him to free you from prison. After all, Paul's fellow apostle Peter was released from prison as a result of a church prayer meeting. However, what is more important is that when we make our prayer requests, we make them in the light of this greater request that God might use us in our experience so that other people might hear and understand and believe in Jesus. Maybe if you pray for healing and God heals you, it will have such an impression on someone that they'll seek Christ. But maybe if you're not healed, God will use your experience of his grace to speak to someone who is also suffering and not healed. Maybe God will use you more to lead people to Christ as a single person than as a married person. As a person without a family rather than one who has the demands of a family. Maybe God knows that you will prove him more in adversity than in prosperity and that your testimony will be far more powerful. I don't know what's best for you or me. And that I think, that is why I think we would be wiser, like Paul, with our prayer requests, to make them, but to leave the choice with him. And to ask him, whatever the circumstances, 
to use us as he sees fit, so that through us, others might hear and understand and believe in Jesus. And if you've not yet done that, then that's your main request. Your main request should be, Lord, save me. Let's pray to